Open! 
Alpha and the Omega. There is none like you, Lord.
Father, we just come to you today and we just thank you and praise you. Thank you for your presence here, for your Holy Spirit. We thank you for Jesus and all that he's done for us on the cross. We thank you, Lord, that in and through the cross and through the beatings that he took on his body, that you were taking on, putting on him the punishment for all of us. And your word says, and by his stripes we are healed. We thank you, Father. You've made the declaration. I am the Lord God who heals you. And we thank you, Father. We thank you for the healing power that flows from the foot of Calvary to each and every one of us as we have need. And Father, this morning as we're in your presence we know that there are those in our group here that just need a touch from you their bodies are hurting their bodies are sick they are afflicted and father we just want to take a moment in your presence to talk to you follow your word 
that they might they might receive your healing. Friday night, Mary and I were in a we were in a car accident. You can see the damage on our car out in the parking lot. Um, she was hurt a little bit in her neck, and uh, so I want to pray for her. I got to tell you, God is here today. If you have a need, today's the day. I just prayed for Debbie back there, and I felt it. God, I just, I felt God touch her body. He's here today in the presence of Jehovah. Heavenly Father, thank you for being here. Thank you for your presence. This is of nothing if your presence is not with us. So we anoint Mary with oil in the name of the Lord. We lay our hands on her. And we ask you the same thing, Jesus. Just start right up here at the top of her head. Go all the way down to the soles of her feet. And correct everything that isn't right. Release the tight muscles. Anything that is not the way it should be, Father, just change it now. Touch it. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for paying the price of this healing on your back. In your precious name, we pray. Amen.
to see your hand. Laura.
I've prayed for a number of, of bodies today, but I also want you to understand God heals more than bodies. God heals emotions. God heals attitudes. God heals hearts. God heals every part of us, not just our bodies. From dust we, are, we came until dust we shall return. The body is only temporary. The soul and the spirit are eternal. And that is the part that God is most interested in. there's something that's going on with your soul or spirit today, today is a day when God can heal that as well. If anyone has one of a need such as that and would like me to pray, I would like to pray with you this morning. Anyone at all? We're here in the presence of Jehovah. Troubles vanish. Hearts are mended in the presence of the King. Sing it one more time, Gina, and then we'll, we'll pray. Thank you for your presence here this morning. Thank you, Father, for touching our bodies and healing them. Thank you for touching our spirits and reviving them. Thank you, Father, for all that you have done. You are worthy of our praise. You are worthy of our worship. It is only through you that we are here today. We stand before you, and we thank you and praise you. Father, as we continue to worship, by giving to you out of, out of our need or out of our abundance, it doesn't matter. You've promised to meet our needs according to your riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Receive our gifts, our tithes and offerings out of hearts of gratitude and may your kingdom be expanded in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.
before I <clears throat> before I um, uh, start the message, um, there are a, uh, a couple of announcements that I, that I need to make. One of them is um, uh, today is my oldest daughter's birthday. She's not here. She had to take Hannah to a volleyball tournament. <laughs> Uh, no, I'm not going to do that to her, because I have to see her tonight, and <laughs> we go out to dinner together for her birthday, but, uh, um, but anyway, so if you have an opportunity, you can say happy birthday to Lonnie, and then I have another really, really special announcement that I would like to, to share with you today, is, uh, and that is that uh, Mary and I are going to be grandparents again. Angie, Angie and, and Billy are expecting our ninth grandchild, our ninth grandchild. Now, the interesting, the interesting part of that is, is that we currently only have seven. That is correct. She is having twins. <laughs> And, and we're just we're just excited. She's um, she's a, not quite not quite 12 weeks. We were going to wait till next week to announce, but uh, Billy couldn't be here next week, and and we were leaving right after church uh, uh, to go to conference, so forth. So we decided that we would uh, make that announcement today, and so we're we're extremely excited and happy about the fact that uh, we're. Uh, I, I called my sisters a few weeks ago and told them they were no longer the only twins in the family. <laughs> and James and John are no longer the only twins in the church. So, <laughs> so anyway, we're, we're, we're very excited about that. And uh, uh, so anyway, <laughs> thank you. All right. So I'll, you can you can uh, give your congratulations after the after the service. Um, okay, um, we are we're continuing. This is going to be the last um, this is the last installment of our or the last sermon on our um, on the this mini the series within the series. We've been we've been in the book of First Corinthians, and then we took a little side series to talk about about human sexuality because of the things that Paul said in chapter 6 of 1 Corinthians where he, he talks about the, the idea that God said, uh, for this cause a man shall leave his father and his mother and the two shall become one flesh. And, uh, and out of that we began to talk about what the Bible says, just what the Bible says about, about human sexuality. And we... Um, so we've been doing that the last two weeks. Today we're going to finish it up because we're going to be talking about the covenant. And in order for you to understand how God views marriage and, and human sexuality, you simply have to understand what the Bible talks about when it talks about the covenant, when it talks about a covenant, when it talks about someone making a covenant. Now, the word covenant, literally translated, means to cut or to divide, okay? And the, and the premise behind the, 
the covenant is this. And I'm going to show you some examples, and then we're, we'll, we're going to go through a, a, a lot of Scripture in the Old Testament, and then I'm going to show you the comparison uh, and how marriage fits into all of that and how human sexuality fits into all of that. And when someone <clears throat> decided that they would make a covenant, a covenant they, would <clears throat> they would say to one another, we want to make a covenant. It could be between two countries, it could be between two individuals, uh, but what they would do is they would talk to one another and they would say, this is, this is the extent of our covenant, okay? Uh, one of the great examples in the Bible is the covenant that Jonathan and David made, and you can read about that in the book, um, in the Old Testament book of Samuel. Uh, I think it's around chapter 18 uh, of 1 Samuel, where you, could, where you can read about David and Jonathan um, making a covenant. And what they would do is they would take an animal and they would cut it in half. Not this way, but like this. Caudally, it's called. They would cut it in half. They would lay the pieces out. Now, obviously, to take an animal and to do that, there's a tremendous amount of blood involved with that. But they would lay them out. And then they would make their declarations to one another. And then they would walk in a figure eight between these two pieces. And they would say, may God do to me what we have done to these animals if I ever break this covenant with you. Now, you can look at the, you can look at the Jonathan and David making their covenant together. And, I, and I've preached a sermon on this before, and I'm just going to tell you, I don't have those scripture verses up here. But you can go on later, and if you ever want to do it, look up, the, look up the name Mephibosheth. Okay? Look up the name Mephibosheth. <laughs> M-E-P-H, um, and, and so forth. <laughs> okay? You can look up the name. He was a descendant of Jonathan. And... At one point, David said, after Jonathan had been killed, David said to someone, is there anyone left of the house of, of Saul, of Jonathan, that I can show kindness to for the sake of Jonathan? And they found out about Mephibosheth, who was crippled. And you can read the story in the Bible about what happened to him. And David brought him into the palace, and he lived in the palace and ate at the king's table every day, not based on what he did himself but based on the covenant that Jonathan and David had made years and years before. <clears throat> now, there was also, at the time when they would make this covenant and they would walk between the pieces, <clears throat> oftentimes, they would, they would then cut themselves <clears throat> at some point. And they might take dirt and they might rub it in the wound so that when the wound had healed, there would be a dark mark on their, on their arm somewhere, somewhere in the body. And that mark was a reminder to them that they were in covenant with someone. It would always be with them. No matter how long they lived, that mark would be there, and they would be reminded, I am in covenant with so-and-so. I'm, I'm, I'm responsible. I've made promises. I have, I have made declarations. I have made uh, vows. I have taken oaths. Okay, And so then oft times, not every time, but oft times they would have a meal. 
together. Just in commemoration of the covenant that had just been made. Now I talked a little bit about Jonathan and David, but now I want to take you into and I want to, I want to show you this, the, the act of this covenant uh, that we find and it's found in Genesis uh, chapter 15. In Genesis chapter 15, after this, the word of the Lord came to Abraham, Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I'm your shield and your very great reward. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eleazar of Damascus? And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. And then the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. And he took him outside and he said, look up in the heavens and count the stars if indeed you can count them. And then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And Abraham believed the Lord and he, he credited it to him as righteousness. And he also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of the Ur of Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. But Abraham said, O sovereign Lord, how can I know I, that I will gain possession of it. So the Lord said to him, Bring me a heifer, a goat, a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abraham brought all these to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. As the sun was setting, Abraham fell into a deep sleep, and a thick, dreadful darkness came over him. When the sun had set and the darkness had fallen, a smoking firepot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham and said, To your descendants, I give this land from the river of Egypt to the river, to the great river, the Euphrates. And so God, not Abraham, not Abram, but God, God is the one who walked through the pieces. God said to Abraham, and I want you to hear this because this is important. It doesn't have anything to do with the marriage, but I want you to understand that when God made that covenant with Abraham, he was literally saying to Abraham, may you do to me what we have done to these animals if I ever break this covenant with you. And folks, I want to tell you, the land of Israel belongs to Israel. And God will never break that covenant no matter what. So there it is. In Samuel, we, it, we, there, I talked, we talked about uh, Jonathan and David. Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off, his, off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow, and his belt. And what he was saying to David at that time was, anybody who comes after you has to go through me. And that was often something that they did. They would exchange things like that. And they would say, I just want you to know as I do this, that anyone who comes against me will have to come against both of us. I will never leave your side. I we talked about the mark. 
Then God said to Abram, as for you, you must keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you for the generations to come. This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you, the covenant you are to keep. Every male among you shall be circumcised. So God made a covenant with Abraham and said to Abraham, this is the reminder to you that you are in covenant with me. There is going to be a mark in your body. There is going to be an identification that you are going to, you are going to see, you are going to know about, you are going to, it, it's a part of you and it is a reminder to you that I am in, you and I are in covenant together. And every male child from now on, when they turn eight days old, they will undergo this rite of circumcision as a reminder that I made a covenant with you that this land is yours and your descendants will be like the stars of the sky and the sands of the sea. And that covenant goes on forever. The mark. For you and I. Today. Listen to this. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed you, having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. The Holy Spirit is a mark in you that you are in covenant with God through the death of Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit is the mark, it is the deposit guaranteeing your inheritance. That's why Paul wrote in Romans and said, His Spirit testifies to my spirit that I'm a child of God. The presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives is the mark that we are in covenant. The meal. In Genesis chapter 31, 44 through 47, Laban is talking to Jacob. And he says, come now, let us make a covenant, you and I, and let it serve as a witness between us. So Jacob took a stone and set it up as a pillar. He said to his relatives, gather some stones. So they took stones and piled them in a heap and they ate there by the heap. And it goes on to say that these stones are a reminder of the covenant that we have made. But they had a meal together. <clears throat> in the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you. And he also said about the bread, the covenant meal. The covenant is binding. Now folks, I, I, I don't know, I, I cannot overstate this to you. I can't get too carried away here. I can't put too much emphasis on this. I cannot, I cannot be accused of hyperbole here. The covenant was binding. Listen to what the Lord says. Listen to what the Lord says in Jeremiah. 
the men who have violated my covenant and have not fulfilled the terms of the covenant they made before me, listen, I will treat like the calf they cut in two and then walked between the pieces. The leaders of Judah and Jerusalem, the court officials, the priests, and all the people of the land who walked between the pieces of the calf, I will hand over to their enemies who seek their lives. Their dead bodies will become food for the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth. That's the Lord speaking. That's how binding His covenant was. That's how binding covenants were. They didn't just speak those words because they sounded good. May it happen to me as happened to these animals if I should ever break this covenant with you. Now, we're going to bring this home because I want you to understand this is this all of this as it concerns marriage and, and human sexuality. God, and I, I, I have to get, I, I'm, not gonna, I'm, try, I'm gonna try not to be, I'm not gonna be ever be, I'm not gonna be graphic and I'm not gonna be gross, but I simply have to talk to you very frankly here, okay? God created us. He had created us, he created us anatomically, male and female. He, God created them. And he said, for this cause a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. <clears throat> and he was, <clears throat> pardon me, he was referring to the marital, the marital sexual act. That's what he was talking to. When he talked about the two becoming one flesh, he was talking about the, the marital sexual act. And God created us in order to be able to do that. He created the woman, He created the woman that at and during her first sexual experience for there to be an issue of blood. Okay? Every woman born with, and the medical name for that is a hymen. Okay? And during her first sexual experience, that hymen is torn and there is an issue of blood. Now it was of such importance in the Old Testament. And, and what happened, the way they did things in the Old Testament, the way they did things in Jesus' time are, are a good deal different than the way we do them now. In Jesus' day, the husband and the wife would, would stand up and they would make their declarations to one another. And of course, they had what they called betrothals or engagements. And the engagements were as binding as, as marriage. Because you'll remember Jesus, um, you'll remember Joseph and Mary. Joseph and Mary were simply betrothed. They were engaged to be married. They had committed themselves to one another, but the marriage had not taken place. You can understand why Joseph was taken aback when he finds out that Mary's pregnant. And he's going he's to quietly divorce her. And then the angel appears to him and says, it, she wasn't unfaithful to you. She wasn't promiscuous. She, wasn't, she didn't 
go and sleep with another man. What is going on inside her has been done supernaturally by this power of the Holy Spirit, so it's okay for you to go ahead and marry her. And the Bible says that he did marry her, but he never consummated the marriage until after Jesus was born. Now, in, in, in Jesus' day, when there was a wedding, the people would stand up and they would make their declarations to one another. And then they would immediately... Now, this is foreign to us because we're in, in our Western culture, unless it's... Unless it's um, um, how do I put this? Unless it's pornographic, it's, it, it's kept private. Okay? Unless it's pornographic, then it's okay. But if it's, if it's right and everything, then it's kept very private. But in Jesus' day, the husband and the wife, once they had made their declaration to one another, they would go off into a room. And they would consummate the marriage. And then they'd come out, and then the party would start. And they'd celebrate for a week. They would, they would just, the people were there and they would just, they would have a party for almost a week. And that's where Jesus performed his first miracle at a wedding, at a wedding feast. But it was so important in Jesus' day, and it was so important in the Old Testament. Now just bear with me, we'll get through this, and I don't want to make you uncomfortable. I don't want to, and I, you know, I don't want to do anything like that. But in, in the Old Testament day, they literally, they literally would put a cloth on the bed and that cloth was, was used as proof to the family of the, of the daughter that she was a virgin when she got married. I want you to see what it talks about in, um, uh, in Deuteronomy. This is the law now. If a man takes a wife and after lying with her dislikes her, and slanders her and gives her a bad name, saying, I married this woman, but when I approached her, I did not find proof of her virginity. Then the girl's father and mother shall bring proof that she was a virgin to the town elders at the gate. The girl's father will say to the elders, I gave my daughter in marriage to this man, but he dislikes her. Now he has slandered her and said, I did not find your daughter to be a virgin, but here is the proof my daughter's, of my daughter's virginity. Then her parents shall display the cloth before the elders of the town, and the elders shall take the man and punish him. Now I want you to know, here's what's, here's what's going on in, in, in all of this with marriage. A man and a woman stand up together and they say to each other, I promise to love you. I promise to honor you. I promise to respect you. I promise to stay with you until death does do part. And there can be other declarations in there. And then there is a consummation and there is, an, and there is blood that is shed and that is why it is called a marriage is not a contract. It is not a legal agreement. It is a covenant before God. It is a blood covenant before God. And it is binding. Now, the mark? We don't mark ourselves anymore. But we wear them. This is the mark. 
Okay? This is the mark, the wedding band. We wear a wedding band. Why wear a wedding band? I got to tell you, I see this wedding band, um, not this one, because I only wear this one on Sundays and special occasions, but I have another one I wear for work. But I look at that wedding band. There will be times when I'm working, and I'll look over, and I'll see that on my hand, and I'm reminded. I'm reminded. I'm in covenant with that lady back there. I am in covenant with her. We didn't just sign a legal agreement. I am in covenant with her. Now, I'm gonna I'm gonna say I'm gonna say something here, and and the reason I'm gonna say it is because I look over this I look over this group of people and I love every last one of you I really do, and I know that some of you have had painful relationships, and you've had relationships that haven't worked, and that you've experienced the 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 breakup of your family, and the things that I say what I'm about to say now next. I want you to understand they are not being said in judgment. They are simply being said because they're the truth of God's word. And I'm, I'm here to give you the word of God. I'm not here to bring judgment on you. I'm here to tell you that the fact that your, that your family didn't, that your family broke up or your marriage broke up <clears throat> or, or whatever went on, I want you to understand that is not an unforgivable sin. I want you to understand that God, that God can cleanse that. God can make that, make that better. And so I want you, when I, as, as we go on from here, I want you to understand that I, that I am very mindful of who I'm speaking to. I'm, and I'm not, I'm, I'm, trying to, I'm not trying to be cold or callous. I'm not trying to be unfeeling. I'm not trying to, to, um, to just sound as though Oh, he's just, you know, he did this to, to, to get me. No, I, I, I didn't. I, I, know exactly, I know exactly what I'm going to say, and I know exactly who I'm speaking to, and I want you to know God's grace is, it goes deep. It goes deep. The meal, we don't just call it a meal now. We call it a reception. But we have a meal together to rejoice and to celebrate who, is, who has been married. Now, the covenant is binding. Here's what Jesus said. Jesus said, haven't you read, he replied. And he rep he, this reply was in response to the Pharisees coming to Jesus and asking him if it was okay for a man to divorce his wife. Now, please understand me. In Jesus' day, a man, a man could divorce his wife simply by writing her a writ of divorcement. Here, I don't want to be married to you anymore. Get out of my life. Okay? And, and she had no recourse. And so, in, so the Pharisees came to Jesus and asked him about that. Is it okay for a man to divorce his wife by writing her a writ of divorcement? And they said, well, and he said, no. And they said, well, Moses allowed us to do it. And he said, well, the reason Moses allowed to do it is because your hearts are hard, because you, because you didn't. He said, haven't you read, he so they are no longer two, but one. 
Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. Now, you say, I, 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 get, the whole, I, I get the whole idea here of the, the blood covenant. I understand the blood covenant. I understand how it, how it is, uh, aligns with the concept of marriage and human sexuality. You see, that's why, that's why God doesn't want adultery. That's why God doesn't approve of premarital sex. That's why God doesn't approve of homosexuality. That's why God doesn't approve of the other sexual sins that are talked about in the Bible. Because, because the, that act is an act that says, I'm in covenant with you. And you can't go around because, because of what God teaches. You can't go around and say, oh, I'm in covenant with you, and 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 I'm in covenant with you. That's why God calls for us to be married to one person for as long as they both shall live. Paul talks about that in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. You say, well, if that's the case then, why is there, uh, why, um, you know, if, if human sexuality was put in place in order to go be in covenant with someone and, and also for the propagation of the world, for the, for the multiplication and the propagation of the world, then why, why do people continue to, part, to participate in that, even in marriage? And I'll simply tell you this. It is, it is a, every time a husband and a wife participate in that act, they are, they, uh, and that's why it's a spiritual thing. And I'm telling you, it's a spiritual thing. And that's why those who, part who practice it outside the bonds of marriage do, un do not understand the spiritual aspect, aspect of human sexuality. Because every time a husband and wife participate in that, they are, they are reminding themselves as well of the covenant that they have entered into. The only people who, have been in, who are in covenant with one another have the God-given right to participate in the human sexuality and the human sexual act. Only those who are in covenant with one another. As I've said a couple of times now, our culture has been hijacked by this. And we have people who simply look at human sexuality as a, as a human need or a human appetite that needs to be satisfied. If I'm hungry, I eat. If I'm thirsty, I drink. If I feel the need for sex, I'm just going to have it with anybody that's nearby. And the Bible clearly states that when a, <clears throat> when a, person, when a person commits sexual immorality, they, don't, they, don't, they sin against their own body. We talked about that last week. They sin against their own body. So for those of, so for those of you who are in the, in, the, in the congregation who are young, I want you to understand that there is, a, there is someone out there that God has chosen for you. 
They have chosen, God has chosen for you. And no one else in all of eternity and all of the universe has the right to your body other than that person that God has chosen for you. And when you are willing to follow the leading of God and you find that person and you make your commitments and you make your oaths and your promises, then and only then do you have, a, do you have the God-given right to consummate those oaths and enter into a blood covenant with that person. And then it's forever. Now, I'm finished. And I want to just, I just want to pray for you, for you all. And I want to pray that, that I, can you, Tim, can you turn it off? Turn off the tape. 